Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweiden Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweiden Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. Brad Garoon, what is going on, buddy? I'm just reading an article about how much Batman versus Superman sucking doesn't matter. Be, what, like, is the article saying that it's going to gross whatever no matter what? Yeah, it says that um, you know, even though everyone's hating it, no one, that pretty much no one, without an ulterior motive, has said a nice thing about it. They're gonna watch it anyway. I gotta say, I went to the movies yesterday to see Midnight Special, which is super dope, and I highly recommend it. Uh, I've never seen so many people walk out of a theater wearing gear. Like everyone was dressed up like Batman, not necessarily in costume, but wearing a Batman shirt. I think that's a Batman thing, though. I think it's always been like that. I saw The Dark Knight, The Dark Knight Rises, and Batman Begins all in one shot when The Dark Knight Rises came out, and there were only a few people in the theater wearing gear. Interesting. Well, I think this is a good segue for what I want to talk about with burgers. Okay, cool. So you and I had a burger the other night, and it had cheese, lettuce, tomato. That was it. The bun was exceptional. There was nothing uh, from an Instagram perspective, you know, outstanding about this burger, and I thought it was really good. Um... And sometimes I feel like you don't need to Cronenburger something to make it really delicious and it can just taste good, right? And so with the, where's the segue here? I ate a restaurant about two blocks from where you and I had dinner the other night, right? Do you want to mention where we had that burger that you're saying nice things about? At the Wayfair. It was awesome. It was awesome. So was the sushi, but you could talk about that. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Okay. I had a burger not far from the Wayfair recently. I walked in and it was like the most boring, innocuous, like it just was mediocre to the definition of mediocre. And I sort of got in with the restaurant. I was like, you know, you're you're in Times Square. You're in the middle of everything. Like, why would you not take the opportunity to just make this burger awesome? And they're like, we don't care. I was like, why don't we care? They're like, because tourists come here. This is not for locals. And most people that come here, come here, and then they never come here again. And I thought that was a cop-out. And I was kind of angry that I was like, well, you Superman, Batman, this when you could have, you know, Captain America, Iron Man it. Like, why wouldn't you? Yeah, but you were in Times Square. You should have expected that. I'm not saying it's right even, but everything with Times Square is wrong. Uh, I can name some restaurants in Times Square that I'm actually a huge fan of. So So I didn't like the Wayfair Burger quite as much as you did, but I did enjoy it. Um, And I've never been one to say that you need a Cronenburger. I'm pretty staunchly anti-Cronenburger. And now I'm pretty staunchly anti-Frankenfry, now that that's become a thing that I coined today. (laughs) Um, In your Rev versus Rye contest that we started last week in our podcast last week. But anyway, uh, yeah, let me just go back to the Wayfair for a second, because they did fried chicken sushi and beef and broccoli sushi. And granted, it's not traditional fish sushi, but watching Rev eat anything with chopsticks (laughs) made my day, because this dude hates seafood. So to see him eat anything... With chopsticks, just blew my mind. Um, and yeah, that stuff was good, as was the apple pie. Highly recommend for the entire Wayfair experience. Just, you know, save up special occasion stuff. I, I agree. And, and speaking of highly recommended, uh, I'm going to segue over to our interview today with Jay Bear for Convince and Convert. Uh, I will tell people that uh, Brad commended me on not fanboying out here, but I am a huge fan of Jay's work. And uh, I, I recommend you definitely pay attention today and learn something because he's a smart guy. Today, we welcome Jay Bear to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast. Jay is an inspirational marketing and online customer service speaker. At least that's what it says on his website. Uh, he's the host and founder of Social Pros Marketing Podcast, uh, an investor, and the president of Convince and Convert, a digital marketing advisors firm. Uh, Jay's also a well-known marketing author whose work includes The Now Revolution and a great book called Utility. Uh, Jay has a brand new book out that's called Hug Your Haters, How to Embrace Complaints and Keep Your Customers, uh, which is a look inside the customer ratings business and how to make them work for your business. Jay, according to the research you conducted for this book, what are people looking for when they post a negative review? Usually when negative reviews are online, people are looking for an audience. Because usually if you need help immediately, 
you're not going to use a review site to get that help, right? You're going to use phone, email, Twitter, Facebook. So when people post a review, a lot of times they're looking for an audience. And, and what they really want is sort of that group empathy wave, like people to say, oh, that sucks. I'm so sorry that happened to you. It's sort of that dynamic. In fact, the research that we conducted for Hug Your Haters found that only about 47% of the people who ask for help uh, in a social media or ratings and reviews context actually expect businesses to answer. So less than half the people who complain expect businesses to get back. Now that's partially because very, very, very few businesses actually respond to their reviews, which is a colossal mistake. How did you end up getting interested in doing all this research and writing a book about ratings and reviews? Yeah, I mean, so look, I'm a marketing guy by trade. I've been in digital marketing since 1993, so about as long as you could have been in that business. And so my consulting firm, Convince to Convert, works with lots of big uh, companies about social social media strategy, content marketing strategy, those kind of things. And, and what we found is that increasingly people were asking us questions like, well, hey, how do we balance uh, social media marketing with social media customer service? Or how do we balance uh, customer service online uh, with customer service offline, all these kind of operational level questions. And I thought, geez, if these big companies, some of the biggest brands in the world don't have this figured out, like a lot of people must not have it figured out. And so I started to to kind of ponder more and more like what is being disrupted right now? We all know that marketing has been disrupted. Uh, I've written, you know, 2,000 blog posts and, and multiple books about it. But I started to look farther and farther into it. I thought, you know, customer service is being disrupted in the exact same way that marketing has been disrupted and for the exact same reasons. It's mobile, it's social, it's millennials. It's the same story just on the customer service side as opposed to the marketing side. Jay, when was the last time that you hated online? The last time that I hated online, I w well, it depends on how you, how you define hated. The last time I actually asked for help was just two days ago. Uh, I needed something from Southwest Air. I had kind of a weird snafu with them, and they got right back to me. It was great. The last time I really, I really sort of lashed out in anger was uh, was probably five months ago. Uh, I had an issue with a sleep number bed delivery, uh, which seemed to be an impossibility uh, to actually get a bed delivered, uh, and their and their call center was literally no help at all. It actually made everything worse. Uh, and, and I thought, geez, there's got to be a better way. Hail Mary pass. Let me try to get a hold of these guys on Twitter. And it's happened so often, guys. Their, their social media customer service team is amazing. And, and, I, and I called them later. I said, look, uh, just FYI, I wrote a whole book about this. And your call center is making your job so much harder because they're terrible and you're great. It's good that sleep number beds and airlines don't have the same kind of fiery passion that chefs do. The last time I <clears throat> hated online, I was threatened with violence. So customer services in the toilet some, in a lot of cases. Well, it's, it's amazing. A third of all customer complaints are never answered. A third. And almost all of those are online. And, and that's not an accident. Many of my friends are small business owners who own restaurants. And they strategically and purposefully do not engage in social or in ratings and review sites. And I said, well, how come you don't do that? Well, people who leave reviews are always lying. And if they don't like our food, then we don't want them as a customer. And I'm like, this is not the right way to handle this because no response is a response. It's a response that says, I don't care about you and I don't care about customers. It's, it, it is, and it makes you feel good to ignore negativity, but it's not a good way to run your business. Jay, do you think that there are more complaints now than there were before, or does it just feel like that because they're coming more to light than they were before? Uh, that's a super perceptive question. Uh, there are more. Uh, the research proves it. Uh, there, there are more complaints than ever before because it is so much easier to complain, right? It's way easier to complain with one hand in a smartphone on Twitter, Facebook, Yelp, whatever, than it is two hands to craft an email or wait on hold, etc. So some of it's just physiology, some of it's comfort with technology and mobile devices, but here's the one thing that's important to recognize. So there's more, there's more complaints than ever, but some of what we call a complaint, quote-unquote, I'm throwing up the air quotes now, some of what we call a complaint now would never have been voiced in the past because there was no outlet to do so that was matching the intensity of the problem. So one of the examples I use in the book is is my good friend Alan uh, is one of those guys who can never have enough ice. Like his cup is always overflowing with ice. Like it's mostly ice and a little bit of drink. 
So if he gets to a restaurant and there isn't enough ice, he could very easily go on Twitter and say, hey, this place sucks, there's not enough ice. Well, that's something that he could and would do now. Now, five years ago, would you actually go home and write an email about that? Probably not, because it's not that big of a deal. So yes, there's more complaints than ever, but the intensity of those complaints has gone down on average, because a lot of people now can just, can just you know, it's almost, like, it's almost like a gripe more so than a complaint in many cases. That is a particularly specific complaint. I'm, uh, has, he, has he gone on and done a lot of those, those uh, ice tweets? He, he has not. Uh, okay. He has not. He okay. he's an interesting cat. He uh, he he is not a social media uh, guy. He, he would probably still. He he's probably even though I use him as the as the example. He's probably the wrong example because he probably would email about the ice. Got it. So if I heard the story correctly, when you reached out to Edison Research to start the process of writing the book, you had intended a completely different book. That's right. Um, can you tell our audience who Edison is and what happened there? Sure. So Edison is one of the most respected attitude collection firms in the country. Uh, they are the exclusive provider of all the presidential uh, election polling, um, the people who you know kind of survey as you come out of the ballot box and say who'd you vote for. They do all of that work. They also do tons of work uh, in the audio business, so they have lots and lots of amazing research around radio and streaming radio, Spotify, Pandora, all those kind of things. So these these are not you know some guys who you know have a Survey Monkey account or whatever. These are serious operations. And my original premise was that speed is the most important thing. So my idea, guys, was that the most important thing you can be in a business today is fast. That we live in a culture that rewards speed, and that's true. Um, and I thought, okay, speed is the most important thing in marketing and in customer service, but before I write a book about that, maybe I should make sure that's accurate. And so I hired Edison to conduct a research project into the science of complaint and the disruption of customer service, and we discovered when we got the results back that my thesis was not true, that speed is important. Speed is really, really important, but it's not the most important. The most important is actually easier. The most important thing today is just showing up is answering more and more and more of the complaints that people uh, put out there about your business, right? So that's why the book is called Hug Your Haters. Uh, the idea is that you should answer every complaint in every channel every time. Every complaint, every channel, every time. Now, what percentage of people in, in business do that? Very small, which is why I wrote a book about it. So, Jay, you just, you just mentioned this, and I know it's all over your book, but for our audience, can you, know, can you explain the difference between the two types of haters that you discovered in your research? Yeah, and I want to just take a moment to, to, to clarify. When I say hater, what I really mean in the context of the book is anybody who complains about a business. So when I say hug your haters, what I really mean is answer your complaints. But answer your complaints is a terrible book title. Hug your haters is a very good book title. Therefore, when I say I, when I say haters, I don't necessarily mean trolls, right? The people who are like super vicious and things like that. I don't know. But, I might I might read that book if you want to write that one too. Answer answer your complaints. It's it doesn't quite have the same pop. As long as you put trolls, I think in the uh, yeah, I could, in the subtitle, how to deal with trolls. Uh, so what we found in the research was pretty interesting. That so we originally looked for like demographic differences. So who complains online versus offline, and who uses Facebook versus phone, and all that kind of stuff that you might think about. It's sort of the science of complaint, really. And and what we found is that the demographic differences are, are really insignificant. Um, there's a little bit of age difference, a little bit of technology aptitude difference, but nothing major. The the big difference um, is that the two groups of complainers, what we call the off stage haters. Offstage haters complain in private, right? So they use legacy channels, phone and email. Onstage haters complain in public. They use public channels. They use social media, they use review sites, and they use discussion boards and forums. The biggest difference between those two groups we talked about in the first question is expectations. So when people complain in private, phone and email, they almost always expect a response, 90 plus percent of the time. And that's true for you guys too, right? If you call a business, you expect them to answer you eventually. If you email a business, you expect an email back eventually. It's just the social contract, right? It's how business has evolved. But if you tweet a business, if you Facebook a business, if you Instagram a business, if you Yelp a business, if you Foursquare a business, if you TripAdvisor a business, uh, if you Urban Spoon a business, whatever, you don't necessarily expect them to get back to you because, frankly, most businesses don't. 
I know if I spoon anybody, urban or otherwise, I expect a phone call back. You just you know what? And I think that's that's a reasonable expectation uh, because you're a handsome man. Sounds like there's some spooning going on right here. Jay, from, let, let's take this from the consumer perspective because I'm sure you answer a lot of questions from the business perspective, and we'll get back to that. If I'm a consumer and I'm looking to get a response, what do you think the best way to get that is? Is it is it getting on stage or is it getting off stage? Well, it depends on the complexity of your issue, right? So if you're going to have to have a whole back and forth to explain the problem, it's probably ultimately easier and faster for you to complain off stage, to call or email, because you can get something closer to a synchronous reply. If it's relatively simple, then doing it on stage in social media or review site um, is is probably the right way to go. There's also some there's also some time um, variances there too. So if you need something right now, it's probably phone or Twitter. If you need something something less than right now, um, but relatively soon, it might be email or Facebook. If you're like, hey, I don't really need an answer right now. I just want to. I want to complain so you know and maybe something good will happen to me eventually, that's where you might leave uh, a review. So some of it's how acute is your issue in terms of the time horizon. Um, but I will tell you one thing you should never do as a consumer, uh, if you can help it, is to switch channels. And lots of consumers do it. In fact, there's research in the Netherlands that says that 71% of the people who complain in social media complained first in email or phone. So hold on, you're saying that if I'm at the airport and my flight gets canceled, I should choose one path and stick with it? If unless unless you just cannot get what you need on that one path, because what happens is if you if you change paths, then they've got multiple records on you and then it becomes actually harder for them behind the scenes to connect the dots. And sometimes you actually do yourself a disservice that way. The other thing I will tell you is a spoonful of sugar, right? I mean Look, we have lots of, of clients that, that do big enterprise social care, lots of examples and case studies in the book, and, and the customer who starts off with the, with the raving, like, let me drop profanity bombs and get really irate, does not get answered as quickly as the customer who expresses some displeasure but handles it in a, in a more mature and, and less uh, outrageous way. You just crushed my, my airline theory. I stand at the desk, I call them on the phone, and I tweet at them all at the same time. And they hate you for that. Well, I'm already angry at them. So because I it creates multiple records you know, on the back end. And, but you know, let me just say, one of the things I talk about in the book quite a bit for bigger companies is the challenge of data unification is real. The struggle is real. Because if you think about legacy customer service, it's all powered by software, right? It's all case management software and stuff. And so you've got lots and lots of legacy packages that handle phone customer service and email customer service. Well, then you've got this whole new breed of software that handles social media customer service. And the reality is that in very, 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 very few cases do those software packages talk to one another. And so you create like a lot of issues on the back end. That's why you might reach somebody in social media and they say, oh, what we'd like you to do now is call us at. And you're like, dude, I just got off the phone with you, and now you've got to ask me to call you again, and, and vice versa. It's just, it is, it's the Wild West right now, but there's lots of smart people trying to create software that works horizontally in sort of an uh, omni-channel way to solve some of those data unification problems. I can't wait to see how some of that turns out. Jay, what would you say to a smaller business owner who says... I don't have the time or budget to get started responding to reviews. I say that is absolutely bullshit um, because you absolutely do have the time. You just choose not to deploy it that way. Uh, let me give you a, a, a mathematical example. Each year worldwide, we spend $500 billion on marketing and $9 billion on customer service. Now, that's despite the fact that everybody knows, uh, everybody in business knows, that it makes more sense to keep the customers you've already earned than it does to have to constantly get new customers all the time. But yet, we don't actually run our businesses that way. So I hear that question all the time. We don't have the resource. And I say, of course you do. Spend a little bit less on marketing and a little bit more on customer service. Either do it yourself or get somebody part-time to do it or whatever you need to do. But I would absolutely prioritize making sure that the people who have already given you money want to continue to give you money as opposed to trying to get more and more and more people who then have a bad customer experience and never come back. 
Jay, I was reading in the book something I want to mention today. I think you kind of just segued us there. Uh, but in, in your research, you came across a pretty astonishing statistic about the impact of a successful customer recovery engagement as it relates to the impact of advertising. Can you show to share that statistic and talk about how it works? Yeah, and, and it's fascinating, right, that <laughs> there's a lot of research around. This isn't research that I performed. It's research that I cited. Um, and there's multiple different ways to look at this. So the, the research you're talking about says that that um, if you actually interact with a customer and answer their problem, it has a greater advocacy impact on them than, than uh, I think it's 20 times an uh, in, in advertisement, something like that. There's other research that says that if a customer has a problem and you successfully address that problem, that customer becomes more loyal to your business than customers that had no problems ever which is amazing. Think about that. So a customer who had a problem that you fixed is more loyal than somebody who never had a problem. That's crazy, which makes me think, how can we create problems that we know we can solve and make sure everybody has it? So We're, I think out, of I, ice. We're out of ice again. Sorry. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a fan of the hurt and recover. Yes. Yeah, I think that actually makes a lot of sense. But then that brings us to the topic of what kind of language you use to respond, right? Mm -hmm. So you work with a lot of big brands, a lot of enterprise brands, and I've seen a lot of backlash lately for brands that anthropomorphize themselves. I do not know how to pronounce that word. That's but they close. they try to, you know, humanize themselves, but at the end of the day, they're still a brand. So what's the right way to, if you've got Yelp or TripAdvisor, where your response, at least at first, is going to be very public, what's a good way to do that without seeming too pandering or too much like you're trying to make your brand into a human? Well, I think the the most important thing is to ans actually answer that review as a human, right? It's I am this is my job. This is my real name. This is my actual job. Here's my actual contact information. So yes, I work for this brand, but I am addressing this as a person who is a representative of this brand. I think that is by far uh, the 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 best approach. The other thing that I have a real challenge with with big brands in particular who have resource issues on the other way, right? So small businesses say they don't have enough resources to handle it. Big businesses say there's so many contact opportunities we don't have the resources to handle it either. Both are wrong. But but on the big business side, the issue I have is with copy and paste. So they say, okay, um, we've got to answer a bunch of different reviews and tweets and whatever and even emails. So what we should do so that we can cover all that ground is we should get six um, standard messages that are pre-approved by legal. And then we'll just have somebody um, who's basically you know, one step removed from uh, an ape and we'll just have them copy and paste and say, well, looks like answer three is the most appropriate. And you see that in TripAdvisor in particular, right? Where it's like almost the exact same word for word answer over and over and over. And that's just ridiculous. Like if you're going to take the time to copy and paste, spend an extra 10 minutes and write a custom reply. It's absolutely worth it. There is a, uh, it's escaping me the name. There's a hotel in South Beach where they incentivize the employees to get their names mentioned in a TripAdvisor review, and if it, they pop up, so if it says, oh, I was at the hotel, and, you know, Stuart helped me out with my towels at the pool, they get a $150 tip. Yeah. And, and they will not even accept tips on grounds in the hopes that, that somebody will mention their name. Have you, have you heard about this? I have not heard about that one. I love it. Uh, I had a very similar example happen to me in January. So each year, my company and I do a, a strategic planning retreat in uh, Puerto Vallarta. And so we go down to Puerto Vallarta, and we're having dinner at this restaurant called La Cliff outside of town. And it's this kind of fancy-schmancy restaurant. There's no no walls or doors or anything. It's like literally on a cliff looking over the ocean. It's awesome. And so we have, I have this... I have, yeah, I have been there. Oh, so there you go. You know what I'm talking about. So the place is great. So... So we finished dinner, and there's like 20 of us. It's like a whole, it's a bacchanal, right? It's like the big annual celebratory, we're awesome dinner. So we're blowing it out. We're the last ones there. They're trying to close, and we're like, hey, more drinks. And so we finally get the check, and the waiter says, hey, I just want to let you guys know that obviously, you know, you guys have been here. Puerto Vallarta is a, a vacation destination. You know, it's a holiday place, and uh, it gets pretty hot in the summer, and obviously, as you can see, we have no walls. So we're closed in the summer. We're closed in the months of June, July, and August. I don't get paid those months because I don't, you know, we're not open. And so here's the way we work it, though. Uh, our manager, who's standing right over there, has a policy where if we get TripAdvisor reviews that mention uh, us by name, my name is Ramon, uh, that I get paid for one of those days. 
So he said, the more times I can get mentioned at TripAdvisor, I can actually feed my family during the summer when this restaurant is closed. So I'm going to give each of you this card that shows you our exact URL to leave a TripAdvisor review. Sure love uh, you to uh, spend some time doing that uh, if you'd like to. And I said, hey, man, um, you've come to the right place because I just wrote a book about that. So uh, I think you've hit the jackpot here. It also solves another issue where people, some people are skeptical about removing tips because they're worried about uh, waiter performance. But if you incentivize something else, there you go. You've got yep. your performance right there. Absolutely. Really smart. And now look, let, let's, let's acknowledge here for the listeners that there's a fine line there between, between encouraging reviews at a customer inflection point when you bring the bills a perfect time. Um, there's other circumstances where you can do it. Encouraging reviews is very, very smart. But you should not tie financial issues to the customer for reviews, right? You can't be saying to customers, we're going to give you $10 off if you leave a review, or we're going to give you extra loyalty points. That, that is illegal based on, on federal law. You've just got to be really careful about how aggressively you push it. I'm a reformed bar owner uh, in New York City. When I, <laughs> when I, and I like to say reformed rather than former because that's a business I'm not getting into again. Um, when when we we used to have problems with with customer reviews and not that we didn't respond to them but we kept having all these negative reviews and we were having trouble getting above you know a certain number a certain star and different reviews and so I said to my staff I said well look you know maybe we're not asking the people that really like us to say something mm -hmm. and and bringing on the haters the people that don't like us to say something we're trying to deal with those but you know, maybe we need to empower the other side and so we started a policy where if we had you know, like a special event or a special dinner, not just like everyday service, but like when we knew we had a really captive audience for something special, we would say, hey, if you're having a good time tonight, please give us a five-star review on Yelp or TripAdvisor. And if you feel like you're not having a five-star time, tell us right now what will change that for you or what will make it happen. And within a couple months, uh, I watched our reviews just go positive. I even saw people that were coming back despite a negative review go and fix reviews. Yeah, that's where you really know you hit it right. And let me ask you this question. Did you see financial performance commensurate with an increase in your review average? Uh, definitely. And and people and, and not necessarily in a in a volume of people through the door, but the amount of time people were sitting at the table. Nice. Nice. That's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it's really great. Now I will tell you this though. Um, that that negative reviews are not bad for two reasons. One, lots of research suggests that if people see all positive reviews, they don't believe it. So you actually want to have some negative reviews because it makes all of your reviews more believable. So to say, hey, we want only fours and fives is actually not a great policy. Um, you, you want to have a smattering of negativity there um, because it really does change how people perceive your reviews. So that's one tip. The other thing is we got to realize that, guys, the most overrated thing in business, in fact, the most overrated thing in life is praise. So getting a five-star review feels good, and it helps your average, but it almost never teaches you anything as a business or as a person because we almost always know what we're good at, right? We know what we're good at. What teaches you lessons are negative reviews and criticism because while there are certainly exceptions and there's trolls out there and things like that, my experience has been that in almost every case, every single review has at least a kernel of truth and in some cases, a whole cob. And so if you're serious about being a good organization, you want somebody to call you on your bullshit, right? If they're having less than a five-star experience, you absolutely and categorically want them to leave you a review or, or want them to tell you about it. One of my favorite stories in the book is from Le Pan Quotidien, which is a, a chain of some 200 bakeries and cafes. They're based in Brussels, lots of locations in the U.S. and the Northeast and, and SoCal. And when their director of customer experience, Erin Pepper, started there a couple years ago, she said, look, my goal for this business is to triple the number of complaints that we get. She wants to triple the number of complaints. It's a big number. Why? Because she knows that if we can get more people who are dissatisfied to actually let us know about their dissatisfaction, we can do something about it. The dangerous customers in your business, especially in food, right? In food and restaurants, the dangerous customers are not the haters. It's a total misconception. The dangerous customers, the ones that kill businesses, are those that are dissatisfied and never say anything about it. People who complain, whether it's on Yelp or anywhere else or call you or Twitter, people who complain are using their time 
to tell you how to make your business better, which is why I say haters are your most important customers, but we treat them like our least important customers, and we have it totally backwards. So that was a nice example of someone who's doing taking outside the box and finding success in reviews that way. Can you give an example of a maybe a cautionary tale of what not to do? Well, look, it gets... It gets celebrated a lot in social media and beyond, this idea of when customers leave a review that is untrue or um, off the mark, that the business should then take that customer to task um, and call them out on it. And there's lots of examples of that happening, especially in restaurants, um, where, where the customer says, you know, this was wrong and this was wrong. And then the, the business owner or the chef goes off on them and says, well, you did this, 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 and this. And everybody kind of plays gotcha with that. And, and I understand that that's psychically satisfying and can go viral. But I do not think that's a good way to run your business. I do, do not think that, that patrons who see that exchange uh, one month, six months, 12 months, 24 months down the road are going to say, yeah, I, I want to eat at the restaurant where the chef is super defensive and, and calls his customers uh, liars. That's the place I want to dine. I think it's massively counterproductive. Jay, do you think that some businesses don't respond to those complaints by saying, I'm sorry, uh, because they think it might make them legally liable? You know, it's funny. I, I, I hear that more from big companies um, where where they literally, in some cases, have a policy. It's not just anecdotal. They, they literally have a policy which says, if you're in customer service in this company, you are not allowed to apologize because it could be a legal liability. And I thought that was crazy. And so in the book, I actually interviewed um, a couple of attorneys who specialize in intellectual property law and such. And I said, hey, is that is that a thing? Like, is that actually possible? And what those attorneys told me is, no, you're not legally liable just for apologizing. Um, certainly, you should be circumspect about what you say in public in a public review site at all times. But but just the, the very fact of saying we're sorry does not then transfer liability to the business. So I wouldn't put a lot of stock in that. So you got people who think that they're liable. You got chefs who are, who are angry. <laughs> um, do, do you find that some businesses pick and choose which onstage customers they're going to respond to? You know, and if so, how does that compare to offstage responses? Well, it, it, it compares mathematically two to one, right? I mean, 90% of, of, of people who complain offstage get an answer, approximately, 9 out of 10. Uh, and, and about half the people who complain on stage get an answer. So, so it's completely different. Now, look, I, I would say because customer service is a spectator sport online in a way that it's totally not offline, that if you had to choose, we talked about resources earlier, and you're like, well, we don't have enough people to answer all these Yelp reviews or tweets or Facebook messages. What I would say is stop answering the phone. Unplug your phone. Because you're going to get way more mileage on the upside and way more punishment on the downside by ignoring customers in social media in public than you will by handling customers in private. Nobody ever thinks about that, and, and probably you would never do that in reality. But if you actually take a step back and think about it, you would be better off unplugging your phone and answering every tweet and every Yelp review than the opposite. So then does speed matter at all? I mean, I know that you started. It does. It does. Yeah, it does. It does, especially in certain channels, right? So, well, I should say it actually matters in every channel, according to the research. It just matters more in some channels. So 40%, the, the data is that 40% of the people who complain in social expect a response within an hour, 40%. Um, the average amount of time it takes a business to respond in social is about five hours, and that, in, and that includes only people who do respond. Again, remember that a lot of businesses don't respond in social at all. So the, the true average is much higher. So we're not quite fast enough. Email is another problem. The average amount of time it takes a business to reply to an email now is 44 hours. It's almost two days. It's a long time in, in this culture. Um, phone is not fast enough either. I mean, it's not, you know, in... in in restaurants and food, you don't have massive hold times other than maybe really hot reservation periods. But even then, right, waiting on hold is not something that people are clamoring to do in this era. So you need to be thinking about, you know, could you do a rollover line to answer calls more quickly, etc. Uh, you have a different dynamic, though, in this business because people who are 
tweeting or Facebooking in particular. As we mentioned earlier, reviews is a little different because if somebody wants, to, if somebody's going to leave a review, it's it's they they've left the restaurant, right? But social media, if they're going to reach out and and tag a business or a restaurant in social media, it's almost always going to be while they're still inside the restaurant. And so if you can actually respond in real time, you may be able to solve that problem and save that customer while they're still in your building. And that is holy grail stuff. Now, is Twitter the best way to do that? No. Is Facebook the best way to do that? No. Which is why I recommend all restaurants, even high-end restaurants, have signage on every table that say, if anything with your experience is less than 100% perfect, please send us a text message immediately at blank, and it goes right to the manager's phone. That sounds intense. <laughs> that sounds like a lot to manage. It is a lot to manage, but what's a customer worth to you ultimately, especially a customer who might slam you in public and tens or hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of people see that over time. I mean, if somebody had a negative experience and they bought a sign and they just stood out in front of your restaurant with a sign that explained their, their concerns and their gripes, you would freak out. Well, what's a Yelp review? It's the same thing. It's a sign online. In the book, you give an example of a 13-store chain in, in SoCal called Fresh Brothers Pizza, where nearly every location has a four-star rating. Can you, can you give the audience here a little clue on how they do that? Well, look, let me just say, before I get into the Fresh Brothers story, that the way they do that is that they're a good company. Like, Amen. And, and, and let me say it from the opposite perspective. I was did a webinar the other day with a, a franchise organization. It wasn't in the restaurant business, but very similar customer dynamics. And in the Q&A portion, somebody chimed in and said, well, Jay, this is great. I love this Hug Your Haters idea. Uh, I think we should answer every customer and every channel every time. Uh, but, but how can we get fewer negative reviews? And I said, well, you could be a better company. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't have a more nuanced answer than that, right? Because in most cases, when people have a bad experience, it's not because social media is your problem. It's that you sucked. You messed something up. Like, fix that. Like, fix the problem. Um, you know, why are your tomatoes bad? Why, you know, why are your buns uh, mangled? Like, what is your issue? So um, a lot of times we, we, talk, we kind of blame the messenger. We're like, well, this social media, Facebook, and Yelp. You know, I, I can't tell you how many friends I know who, who blame Yelp um, for their negative reviews, as if Yelp somehow by its very existence has changed the uh, nature of customer attitudes. It's ridiculous. So I think that's the, the, the biggest um, concern I have, is that we're sort of misplacing our, our, our issues with, with customer feedback. Yeah, so, and I, I don't think you can, like, hack your way to better reviews. It's certainly not, uh, I think, where we're going here. But, you know, if you're listening to this podcast and you're going to go read this book, you know, people are looking for, like, okay, maybe we are a good company. You know, what can we do? Yeah, so here's what, here's what Fresh Brothers does. And I really like their approach. So their owner, Debbie Goldberg, so it's 14 stores, right? It's, pretty, it's a pretty serious biz, right? So she does all of it herself, doesn't farm it out to store managers. She's like, look, this is my brand, my last name, uh, you know, Fresh Brothers is her husband. Um, and she's like, look, this is, you know, this is my baby. So when she gets a positive Yelp review, she always answers back in public and personally says, I'm Debbie, and says, hey, um, we're delighted that you had a great experience. Um, you know, hey, it, would it be possible for me to send you a small gift card? And next time you come in, would you promise to bring somebody who's never been here before? And that's really smart. Like, I've very rarely seen that um, from a business owner, and it's really sharp. It's just, it's just good marketing. And then when somebody leaves a negative review, she says, hey, we're terribly sorry we disappointed you. We had an off night. Uh, it's not always like this. As you look at our reviews, you can see that most people have a great experience here. I'm really sorry that it wasn't the case when you were in. Would it be possible for us to send you a gift card uh, and for you to give us another try? Give us another chance, which is also really, really smart, right? You're not just apologizing. You're apologizing plus call to action, which is really great. So when I asked her, I said, uh, hey, Debbie, this is really smart. I love your approach, but it seems like you might be giving away a lot of gift cards. How do you justify that? She said, well, I mean, we keep track of it. Like, we have a list. So it's not like, you know, we're going to be like, hey, this is the 14th gift card we've sent to Paul or whatever. And she said, the other thing is, 
you know, is it possible that somebody gets a gift card from us they don't actually deserve? She's like, yeah, it's totally possible. But she said, you know what? It's the cheapest marketing we could possibly do. It's like, given what print costs, given what radio costs, given what direct mail costs, given what outdoor costs, having a few gift cards here or there that everybody on Yelp can see, she's like, it is literally nothing. It, it, it costs nothing compared to a single ad. She's like, it's by far the most impactful thing we do because people come in and say, oh, we love you guys. We love the pizza anyway. And I saw how you handled that person on Yelp. That was really awesome. Doesn't she sort of, however, run the risk of encouraging people to write fake reviews in exchange for gift cards? Presumably. Yeah, presumably. Um, she hasn't experienced that as a problem, but you would think that could be an issue. I, I think to some degree Yelp's algorithms are, are pretty good at, at, at ferreting out you know, truly bogus reviews. And I think it's also much harder to put in a truly fake, like these guys suck review, when you've got dozens and dozens of positive reviews to the contrary. Sure. All right. Well, let's dive deep into one real You Guys Suck review that you put in your book. So I'm just going to read it real quick, just the review. I cannot believe that these people actually exchange real American currency for this square, steamed mixture of rodent feces and sawdust on a tiny bun. This is the bastard love child of a 7-Eleven microwave meat patty and the entrail drippings of roadkill left to fester on a Midwestern highway in the hot July sun. Don't know why they had to mess with the Midwest. Happily... It's a th it's a thin as post-it note so as to avoid inadvertently engaging your gag reflex. So how do you think Debbie or someone else who's good at responding to reviews would have responded to this file? So that is a review for White Castle. It's a Chicago area location of White Castle. Uh, a couple of observations there. First, um, anytime you see the word rodent feces or the two words rodent feces in a review, it's almost always negative. Uh, <laughs> second, and this is true, that is a two-star review. That's oh. literally a two-star review. So, so they like something. Yeah, I like. I totally want to email that person and be like, hey, um, could you let me know anytime you have a one-star experience? Because if that's two, uh, I really want to know what one feels like to you. I, I think, Jay, before you answer this, Brad, I think as a show note, we should go find that review put it up with the show notes, and see what else that guy has talked about. Maybe I'm a little worried about cyberbullying coming yeah, out. About liability. We talked about that earlier. Uh, so I would answer that. So he, here's the thing, okay? And I've proven this in my own life. Look, I, I'm a, 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 a very minor public figure, but as an author and speaker and podcaster and, and people like that, you know, people comment on my work all the time. And, and there are times when I have haters who are like, that sucks, you're the worst, whatever. And what I've discovered, and it's somewhat counterintuitive, is that the more outlandish the comment, the more vanilla your response should be. Because it essentially makes their comment seem ridiculous by comparison. So what I would do uh, if, if I got that review and I was White Castle, I would answer it back in public, as you should always do, and I would say, person's name, always use somebody's name, it's very warm, uh, we're terribly sorry you did not enjoy your experience uh, at our location of White Castle. Certainly White Castle creates uh, hamburgers and a customer experience that are different from many other chains. It's befitting our 75-year history. However, if it's really just not your thing, we would be delighted to send you uh, a $10 Amazon card or something, right? Some sort of way for you to um, get recompense. So, and this happened to me, like, literally, guys, two hours ago. So two hours ago, I got the very first one-star review for my new book, Hug Your Haters. It was a guy who listened to it on Audible. And his review was something like, um, the, the concept sounded great, but then I listened to the whole book, and he said the same thing over and over, and I didn't learn anything, and there was no actual meat to it. And I thought, well, that's crazy, because the entire book is research, but okay, whatever. And so I answered him back and said, hey, I'm terribly sorry. There is tons of research in the book and tons of case studies and examples. And it's, you know, I said, ironically, most people's criticism of the book is that it has too much detail in it. But clearly that wasn't the case for you. So what I'd like to do is I will buy you any other audiobook on Amazon. Here's my personal email. It's j at jbear.com. Send me a note. I will buy you any other book you want. Did he reply yet? Uh, not yet, but again, just a couple hours ago. So you're saying that if Brad and I go give your book a one-star review, we might get mentioned in your next interview? 100%. <laughs> I am on top of that. 
I don't and feel you know right what, about what it. it. And you know what? It costs you, you know, what's the worst case scenario? It'll cost me $16. But now every single person who sees that exchange is like, wow, puts his money where his mouth is. So, Jay, we, we've covered a, a whole heck of a lot in this conversation today. But, but from reading the book myself, I can tell the listeners we, we're really just like at the tip of the iceberg here. Uh, there's a cornucopia of insights, actionable suggestions, and data that people can learn from. Uh, but before we move to like our closing questions, is there like one action item that you'd like to give the listeners that's almost like a preview of what they can expect from reading the book? Well, a couple things. Uh, we've talked about answering every customer. Um, I would say that categorically haters are not your problem. Ignoring them is. There's two other things I want to mention. One, if you haven't historically answered your reviews, you should go back and answer your old reviews, even though they might be two years old, because the thing about reviews that people neglect to understand is that there is an infinite atomic half-life. All the time, if you, if you do a Google search or a Yelp search or a TripAdvisor search or whatever, you can find reviews from customers that were three years ago. Right? They still impact customer foot traffic today. So it's not to say, well, this is an old review, so nobody sees it. That's not the way it works. So if you haven't historically answered, go back today and answer them all. Just go do it and say, hey, um, hey, we're, you know, we haven't historically answered Yelp reviews, but we are now. We've changed our policy on it. I know it's been a long time, and you're probably not going to see this, but if by chance you do see this, I'd love to have a conversation with you, and can I give you a gift card to bring you back in? Boom. Done. Keep on moving. Do all of that. And the last thing, uh, the last thing I would say is that we have to understand that how customers want to interact with us is changing very, very quickly. Some of it's technology, but some of it's demographics, too. I mean, I've got two high school kids at home, and they're not using the phone or email. They have no interest in those technologies. And so as millennials become the dominant consumer group in this country, we're going to have to aggressively decide that we're going to interact with customers in the venues of their choosing instead of the venues of our convenience. And if you're like, well, we, you know, we have a phone number and we have email, that's not enough anymore. Right? You have to be active and passionate about Twitter and Facebook and Facebook Messenger and soon Snapchat and WhatsApp and all these other places. And I know that sucks and I know that's more work, but that's just the way it's going to be. So I think that was spot on. A great, very important piece of advice uh, to end the, the substantive part of our interview. But just because this next bit's not necessarily substantive or on topic doesn't mean that it's off topic for us, but it's very important for us. So Jay, Rev and I are very, very big burger guys, and we ask all of our guests the same couple of questions as we wrap up, and they are burger-related. I'm psyched. Good. What was your favorite burger from childhood? So my dad owned a steakhouse as a kid. I grew up in the restaurant business. Uh, my job was to run the jukebox as a young boy uh, and uh, occasionally sweep up behind the bar. Uh, so we had a steakhouse with, like, the sawdust on the floor and, like, old-timey wood walls and all that, all mesquite-broiled steaks and whatnot. So uh, the, the burger at my dad's restaurant called Old Ranger's Watering Hole in Lake Havasu City, Arizona was my favorite. Is that, uh, does that business still exist? It is not. It's been, uh, it's been sold a million times since then. It does not exist. Although my first job, my first real job as a kid was at McDonald's. So uh, my, my burger, uh, my burger uh, career continued. My my burger career started at McDonald's. So Mine too, go. my first real job. And I'll tell you what, uh, my daughter just got her first job a couple of days ago, and, and uh, not at McDonald's, but also in the restaurant business. And I, I there is no better place um, for kids to start their working career than at McDonald's because the systems and what they teach you and accountability and respect uh, is is extraordinary. Um, those guys, if, you, if you've ever seen sort of the, the work that McDonald's has done and, and their alumni and, and sort of what people have done who got their first job there, it's amazing. Spent 18 months there before I decided to go run a mailroom. There we go. <laughs> there you go. Love it. Jay, what, is the, uh, what was the last burger you ate? Last burger I ate was Friday. Uh, I went to a good friend's house. My friend Bill Oliver and his wife Kathleen own the largest winery uh, in, uh, in Indiana. Um, and we, they had a big party for the Indiana Hoosiers versus North Carolina Tar Heels basketball game, which uh, Indiana unfortunately lost, but uh, he made a spectacular burger, uh, which was 75% uh, ground chuck, 25% ground bacon, which uh, was pretty spectacular. Oh man, you ever been to a Slater's 
You know what? I have. Uh, I was in San Diego. I guess it's maybe it's IB. I don't know exactly where that is in San Diego, but uh, a friend of mine took me there just like four months ago, and I'd never been there before, and that place is great. Love the beer list, too. I'll be back in San Diego soon, so I need to get back in that joint. Yeah, I've been there once. At, it was when I attended the last uh, Social Media Marketing World. Yes. That was that was on my agenda. I was like, I'm staying one more day so I can go eat at Slater. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I get there a lot for conferences, probably four or five times a year in San Diego, and so lots of good restaurant options there. And I'll see you in a couple weeks at uh, Social Media Marketing World, so come say hi. God bless. Jay, so I know we, we, this whole show has been a lot about giving advice, but we're going to be specific here, uh, and it, almost as if you're speaking to uh, to your children. What is the one piece of advice you would give to someone in the food marketing business? I think it's to understand that there's no such thing as a bad customer. When when customers leave negative feedback, the tendency in the food business is to say the customers at fault, the customers at lying, and and we don't want that customer anyway. And that is a very short-sighted way to run your business. Customers who take the time to tell you that you are less than perfect should be treasured, not demeaned. That is some awesome advice. Well, Jay, I, th- I think we've more than covered everything we need to cover. So now it's time for you to be able to cover what you'd like to cover. We ever pe- folks know about Hug Your Haters, but you want to let them know everywhere they can get it and any other any other products you want them to Yeah, you bet. Thanks very much. So... Uh, Hug Your Haters is available all the ways and places that books are available, your local bookstore, uh, Amazon, of course, Barnes & Noble. Uh, it's available on our audiobook. It's available uh, all the different uh, way Kindle, of course, all those kind of things. So uh, it's the number one customer service book on, on Amazon right now. It's flying off the shelves. So uh, I guarantee you'll like it, and if you don't, I'll give you your money back. It's that simple. Um, you can find more about me at convinceandconvert.com. That's convinceandconvert.com. Uh, that's the site for uh, our consulting firm. We have 12 blog posts a week. We have five different podcasts weekly. We have a podcast on social marketing, a, co- a podcast on content marketing, on influencer marketing, a podcast on storytelling in business. So all kinds of resources for business owners and marketers. So we can uh, we can fill your head, that's for sure. Jay, thank you very much. It was awesome having you on the show today. A lot, a lot of great insight, a lot of good conversation, and a lot of uh, a lot of useful stuff for our people listening to our show. Thank you for taking the time to speak with us. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Love the show. Thanks, guys. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidensons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.